This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Grown and The Moth are excited to partner with Graduate Hotels to celebrate storytelling across generations. Visit any of Graduate's 30-plus hotels and you'll discover storytelling is at the heart of everything they do, especially when it comes to their unique, locally-inspired interior designs. Not only has The Moth hosted a series of open-mic story slams at Graduate Hotels, but members of our staff have also had the privilege of visiting graduate hotels as guests. From Ann Arbor, Michigan to Oxford, England, our team has experienced firsthand the rich storytelling and memorable design touches that make a graduate stay so special. So the next time you're visiting a beloved college town or dropping by your alma mater, stay at graduate hotels and save up to 30% with exclusive code MOTH. Thanks again to Graduate Hotels for their generous support and their commitment to telling the unique stories of their local communities. Go book your stay now at graduatehotels.com and remember to use code MOTH for up to 30% off. So in fifth grade, almost every single day after school, I'd go over to my best friend's apartment. And she lived on like the 14th floor or something. We'd ride the elevator up, it would ding open, and her apartment was a corner one all the way at the end of this long hallway. And one day, we're walking down the same hallway we always did, but we noticed that there are magnets on every single door. And these were like these big metal doors. Um, And the magnets are information about the city's new recycling program. So like how to fold up your boxes correctly and what bin does the plastic go in. Um, And we kind of ignore them, but we just notice that it's something new. She puts her key into the door, we go inside, and we realize that her babysitter isn't there, which was pretty normal. It just probably meant that she was getting laundry or something from the basement, but that meant that there was no adult supervision. And we looked at each other, and it was like we had the same idea. We had this mischievous grin, we drop our backpacks, and we start running down the hall, her apartment door slamming behind us, and we start grabbing every single magnet on every single door. And we finish her entire apartment, and uh, her entire floor in like 30 seconds. We go up to the next floor, and we hit about three floors before we are overwhelmed with the amount of magnets that we have in our hands, and we go back down to her apartment, except we realize that when the door slammed behind us, her keys were inside and were locked out with our contraband. And there's nowhere to hide these like dozens and dozens of magnets. And so we start frantically trying to shove them under the doormat. What were you guys thinking hiding under the doormat? I don't know. Like we could bend physics in our desperation, uh, but it did not work, obviously. And the elevator dings open and my friend's babysitter is there holding a basket of laundry and we are caught red handed. Uh, And my mom gets called and I get picked up. And I am in the most trouble I'd ever been in until up until that point in my life. Um, And it's really then that I realized that we'd done something wrong. And I'm really ashamed of myself because I considered myself one of the kids that follow the rules, you know, but I will never forget my mom's disappointment that day. Grown. 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 I'm Fonzo. And I'm Aliza. And this is Grown 
a podcast from the moth full of stories about what it means to grow up. This episode, we're going to explore what I maybe should have had before I stole all those magnets, a moral compass. Hey, you're not stealing magnets anymore. And that's the important thing. Yep, it's all about personal growth here on Grown. Anyways, this episode, we're going to be talking about how we figure out our own personal code of ethics, what comes from our family, what comes from our friends, and what comes from inside of us. First up, we have Christian Garland. He told this at a Moth Education Grand Slam where the theme of the night was face-to-face. Here's Christian live at the Moth. I like it, too. I like it, too. It's good. Um, so uh, I'm going to let y'all know now I'm a preacher's kid. I I'm, I'm grew up in the church. I swear I've only missed like two Sundays out of my whole 16 years of life. And uh, my grandfather, he, he was a minister, so... You know, he was my best friend. He was my, he was like the person I could talk to about anything and everything. So when I was growing up, I'm about nine, ten. I wanted to be the friend that had anything everybody else had, but I always wanted to have something better than everybody else. I was the friend that like, if you got the new video game, I had that video game and another one that was just about to come out that you ain't know about. So, you know, one day, my friend came outside. He had these ugly, 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 ugly sneakers on. I suppose I should mention at the time, my grandfather, he was a big dude. He wasn't small. He was like 6'3", wore like like 200 pounds and wore like a size 13 sneaker. Shoe, sorry. And so, I used to walk around in his shoes like it was cool. I thought big feet was cool. So, you know, I was like, all right. So I was like, yo, bro, I got those, man. That ain't nothing. I got those already. He was like, all right, prove it. I didn't have them. <laughs> so my, grandfa- my grandfather being a, a minister or whatever, he gets the money out of the collection plate. So I knew where he put the money. It's not what you all think. <laughs> I lied, it's exactly what you think. So, I told him I got the sneakers, went upstairs. I took the money, I did. And it was like $200. And I went on 3rd Avenue in the Bronx. I went inside, looked at the guy with a straight face. I want the biggest size you got. <laughs> he looked at me, looked around. I was like, yeah, it's happening. <laughs> and so, you know, I got sneakers, and I'm, I go home, and my grandfather, he's, he's going off. He found out. He was like, he's screaming at my uncle. He's like, why would you steal my money? My uncle's like, I didn't touch your money. I don't know what you're talking about. And I walk in. First, I should tell y'all, I was talking junk walk home. I'm like, yeah. I'm walking. My grandpa asked me where I got sneakers from. I said, I got them from you. I'm with my cousin. And he's like, ain't going to work. So I walk in, he's going off, and I froze. I was like, oh, he mad. And he was like, Christian, come here. I was like, huh? He was like, where'd you get them sneakers? <laughs> Funny story. Uh, I went in your briefcase, got the money. Yeah. He was like, how much money did you take? I said, about $200. What? About $200. Why you crazy, boy? It was, it was, I was he was screaming. And he said some very hard words. He was like, I will never be able to trust you again, but one day you're going to repay me for the money you took. 
I don't know how, I don't know when, but you're going to repay me. I cried. It was terrible. Fast forward a couple of years, about like two, three years ago. I started, I'm a drummer. I should let y'all know I'm a drummer. I play the drums on the radio for Al Sharpton on the radio, nine o'clock. And so, yeah, he paid me good. That's good. <laughs> and so, I'm like, you ever had, you ever had that thought where you think, start thinking about something and then your mind goes somewhere else? That's what I was like. I remember Grandpa said I'm gonna repay him. So, me, I, I didn't get McDonald's for two weeks in a row. So I, I got the money to pay him back. So. I put it in the envelope, in the, little, the little envelopes or whatever. And so I take him out to dinner at his favorite place, Crown Donut on 161st Street, next to Yankee Stadium. At first he was skeptical. He said, you got somebody pregnant? I was only 13. I don't know what he was talking about. I was like, no, of course not. That would be absurd. So we got, our, we got our food or whatever. And uh, I took the, I had on a coat. It was cold. It's like the end of October, early November. It was cold. And so I took it out my pocket. I felt like a big boy. I took it out my side pocket inside, you know, the little pocket inside. <laughs> took it out, put it on the table, had my, had my godfather face. I was like, <laughs> it's there. And he looked in. She was like, what's this? I said, you said I was going to repay you, and you didn't know how, but I just repaid you. And we started crying, hugging. Oh, I love you. I love you too, granddad. The waitress came. She started crying because she thought it was her tip. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, I'm just glad that I got a chance to fulfill what my grandfather said and got to pay him back and earn his trust back from him because he said, you know what? You surprised me. I'm proud of you. I trust you again. And that, and that was the last thing he told me because two weeks after that, he died. And I, I did the same thing y'all did. Aw. <laughs> Until I find out he ain't get to spend the money. I was mad. I said, I ain't eat McDonald's in two weeks. <laughs> two weeks, that's like three years to a 13-year-old. And uh, I was mad at my grandma because I knew she had the money. I didn't know what she did with it. And so a couple of late days go by, we made the funeral arrangements. I still ain't know where the money went. I got up and I went to go view the body and my grandma, she stopped me. She said, you see that suit and them shoes he got on? I'm like, yeah, she said, your money paid for that. And the expression on my face was like, oh, what? I was so proud that, number one, I got my trust back from my grandpa, and he was stunting in the suit and shoes I bought him. Thank you. That was Christian Garland. He said his younger self would describe him now as a person who pushes through his circumstances no matter what. Heck yeah. Me, I personally know Christian Garland from high school, and he is just as funny in person as in the story. I love that you guys went to high school together. You must have had 
so much fun. A lot of fun. A lot of fun right there in the Bronx on 170th Street. Uh, well, if you'd like to learn more about Christian and all of our storytellers, check out grownpod.com. And for behind-the-scenes stuff and bonus content, follow us on Instagram or TikTok at grownpod. Up next, a story about a heist. But first, Aliza, you mentioned that you were a rule follower. Aliza, would you have considered yourself a good teen when you were younger? Uh, do you relate to Christian's story at all? Yeah, you know, like I said, when I was 10, I was already a rule follower and— I really was, like, for most of my life, a pretty strict rule follower. In a way of, like, I was a little bit scared of the consequences. My parents were a little bit stricter. Um, And so I just sort of knew what the consequences would be if I didn't follow a rule. Like, for example, I got into a lot of trouble my senior year of high school when I tried to break some rules. uh, And I ended up my last two months of high school being grounded, Mm -hmm. uh, which was not that much fun. But It is something I've reflected a lot on as I've gotten older. Um, And I wish I wasn't as strict of a rule follower. I wish I'd maybe broken some more rules, had a bit more fun, let loose a little bit, because the consequences that you have when you're, let's say, 15 are different than the consequences you have when you're 25. And I'm not advocating for breaking the laws or anything. Whoa, go wild, everybody. Let's go. I just mean, like, maybe stayed out past curfew, like, 30 more minutes. Or, you know, like, yeah, I I think that those things, those, like, things that you do as a teen um, that are just typical teenage stuff, like staying out past curfew, lying about where you were, Mm -hmm. as long as you feel safe and you are in a good environment, I think those are character-building moments. Um, And I'd maybe wish that I had done a little bit more of that. I I, I feel that. I feel that a lot. Mm. Uh, Sometimes the bad stuff is very appealing. Sometimes, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? I I feel like I've had both the strict and the kind of loose. My mom is like, wasn't too hands-on, like, Mm -hmm. you know, be home this or be home that. And so, like, I'd play basketball out and hang out with my friends a little later than I should, you know, when Mm. the lights, even when the lights, uh, the street lights came on, you know what I'm saying? I'd still be playing basketball. Even if I was just down the block, I would still stay out. And then I get home and it's like, yeah, you know, I told you, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Kind I, of thing. I, got, I came home. Yeah, but then I, I also had a different experience when I moved to Portland, Oregon to mm-hmm. live with my uncle uh, for two years in middle school. And it was just a completely different, uh, <laughs> completely different shift because, uh, you know, my uncle was the oldest. He's the oldest of mm-hmm. of of the siblings. And so he was much stricter. He's a college professor, mm-hmm. black history teacher, black history professor. And so, like, I had a very different experience when I lived over there. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, you can't, you're not watching TV. Mm-hmm. Where's your homework? I moved there with my sister as well. Don't bother your sister while she's studying. She has SATs, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. And so, like, I had both, but also it made me be like, okay, I was having so I was More like, fun. it made me look back on like, okay, that was uh, I was in I was living in Grace over mm-hmm. there. Um, but um, what did that time for you living in Portland with your uncle? do in terms of shaping your moral compass or helping you understand, quote-unquote, right from wrong? It was good to know. Um, the He made me understand, like, the importance of, like, educating yourself mm-hmm. and, like, taking it seriously, especially at that young age. It's like, okay, you know, I can read a book anytime or, you know, I can end it up. But this is, like, a stage where it's, like, you'll have so much time to, like, feed information to yourself and, like, learn. And uh, this is, like, who you are and who you become. And so, like, having a good father figure, uncle figure. And I remember I had like a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air kind of situation. Mm. 
-hmm. Like I said, I was staying out later. Um, the, the neighborhood I was in and the kids I was hanging out with weren't like just like, you know, so like my uncle was like, oh, it's a good idea. Why don't you come out here? And so it's like that different. I, yeah. I took it more serious and I got more serious about things. And You're I was Fresh Prince of Portland. Fresh, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where, but a little less sunshine, more mm -hmm. rain over there. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, definitely. Um, that's super cool, Fonzo. Thanks for sharing that. Something that you, you said, though, made me think about how when you have someone, and, like, oftentimes it is a parent, but sometimes it's a teacher or an older sibling or just, like, a authority figure, someone who you want to make proud, I think that's really special when you're younger because that does teach you, like, that feeling of making someone else proud, of making yourself proud for doing the thing, like, the right thing in someone else's eyes and that is part of shaping your values and your moral compass uh, and helping you do the quote-unquote right thing. Yeah, absolutely. What is the right thing? What is the right and wrong, yes. though? That's a really good point. I think that there's a lot of pressure put on young people to do the right thing. And the right thing is defined differently depending on your parents, your community, your circumstances, your environment, everything, you know, yeah. that those are all the factors that shape our moral compass. Yeah. Um, and there are sometimes instances where the quote-unquote bad kids, when they're younger, get labeled mm. as a bad kid. But in reality, they're just a kid that's trying to work through something difficult. Mm. Uh, and they're a young person that does maybe know how to navigate that out. Yeah. I'll never forget there was... Um, this young boy who I went to school with who was one of those quote-unquote bad kids, and the punishment was when you were bad and disruptive in the class, you would get taken out of your class with your friends and put into another class where, mm. like, maybe you didn't know people and you just had to do work there. Mm. Uh, and so he was oftentimes coming into our classroom and um, was this kid who we didn't really know that well, but we knew was labeled as the bad kid. Mm. And... Um, one day he came into class and my teacher just sort of exasperated, was like, oh, what did you do now? And he said, oh, um, and he was with his teacher who's escorting him. And he said, no, I, I didn't do anything. Um, I just wanted to give you a picture of my mom. She just passed away from cancer. Mm. Wow. And it was like one of those moments that really stuck with me as a young person because uh, it was heartbreaking to watch that interaction. And it really made me understand like – Sometimes when someone is doing something, quote, unquote, bad, it's not because they're a bad person at all. Mm. Um, and I really hope that that kid is doing well now as a grown person. Um, and, you know, yeah, it was just it was a really powerful moment as a young person oh, wow. to see. That's amazing. And I think that's what's amazing about these, like, two stories is just, like, getting to that realization. You know what I'm saying? Like Christian mm -hmm. with his grandfather mm -hmm. and that, that deep connection and how he— he took it upon himself that he remembered that one day I'm going to, you know, pay you back. Yeah. And I think also, like, Christian's story, of course, is a story about finding his moral compass. And it's also definitely a story about forgiveness and redemption and how um, I love that moment when he's taking his grandfather to the, the donut restaurant um, <laughs> and his grandfather forgives him, you know, and they hug and they cry. And it's this beautiful moment before his grandfather passes away. And I'm so glad he had that moment of forgiveness. And it's like, yes, uh, we make mistakes as people and we do the wrong things from time to time. I don't think that ever ends. I think you you will always mess up. You'll always make a mistake. But being able to be forgiven, forgive yourself, um, that's what's really important because that's how you grow and you learn and you move on from things. You're not 
supposed to be perfect. You're just supposed to learn from your mistakes. Yeah. And we make mistakes, you know what I'm saying? This crime episode <laughs> on <laughs> a lot of stealing going on, but uh, we, we're learning from the mm-hmm. lear- learned from the stealing, you know what I'm saying? My kleptomania days are behind me. Rest yeah. assured. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. Now, here's Stacey Bader Curry. She told us at a New York City Story Slam where the theme of the night was money. Here's Stacey, live at the Moth. When I was 14, my greatest joy in life was my job at CBS. It calmed me to align boxes of Excedrin and to make change in my head. But when I was 16 and I started remembering SKU, memorizing SKU numbers for fun, I thought maybe it's time to move on. So I interviewed with Mr. Hazel, the manager of the coolest movie theater in town. He was very formal, and he wore this natty three-piece suit. And he introduced me to Doug, his driver. And I thought, wow, this movie theater is really nice. Um, So I got hired, and I worked behind the candy stand. And right away, this place was very strange. Um, You know, CBS was like a Jane Austen novel. It was very orderly. And... (laughs) There was this lovely atmosphere of gloom and isolation. And the movie theater was like Lord of the Flies. Mr. Hazel was never there. The teenagers were always conspiring and laughing, and I was completely left out. But what really bothered me was our popcorn inventory system. It just, it didn't add up. It was... It was really simple. All we had to do was count the popcorn tubs before our shift and then count the tubs again after the shift. And the difference was what we sold. But the whole shift, I was mentally tallying our sales and it never added up to what we had on the inventory sheet. The money was correct in the cash drawer, but I knew we were selling more. So I expressed my concerns to my coworker, Marie. (laughs) And she snapped her gum in my face and said, you better talk to Mike. Now, Mike was the head usher. He was a little intimidating. And that afternoon, he grabbed me. And he said, so, I hear you want in. And what? He said, listen, kid, what we do here is we sell refurbished popcorn cups. I had no idea what he was talking about. So he laid it out for me. What you got to do is you come with me and clean out the theater. You look for popcorn cups in the garbage on the floor. You meet me back in the break room, and we wipe them out. And as long as there's no visible butter stains or tears, you put them back behind the counter, and you take the corresponding cash out of the drawer. Um, So I was appalled, but a little intrigued. (laughs) And, And so I said, well what do you do with the cash? And he just smiled broadly. And he said, well, we all go to dinner every night at Charlie Brown's. And then after work, I buy a case of beer. So in that moment, I went from being the rain man of CVS to being the queen of the popcorn mafia. Because not only did I join their organization, I elevated it. I brought my strong quant skills and my analytical reasoning. I said, guys, 
We are not allocating resources properly. We don't need three people to clean up after dirty dancing. That is all teenage girls. They eat Twizzlers. We need to focus upstairs, theater number three, where we were showing The Untouchables. Um, now, if you don't know, this is uncanny. The Untouchables is the true life story of Elliot Ness's takedown of Al Capone. And you know who came to see The Untouchables in the summer of 1987? Senior citizens. They never put butter on their popcorn. That theater was littered with pristine cups. So we were flush with cash. And we would roll into Charlie Brown's like we owned the place. We'd pass Mr. Hazel at the bar, and he was nursing his eighth scotch. And it was like this portal to an alternate reality opened for me. It was like this world where people didn't care about being proper, and they didn't have the same complicated relationship with money that I had. You know, I grew up in a coupon-clipping, generic toilet paper household. And here I am at Charlie Brown's, a restaurant where they bring you sour cream with your baked potato, and you don't even have to ask for it. And I'm ordering shrimp cocktail and prime rib. It was exhilarating. Um, so fall came, and we got rid of dirty dancing, and we got fatal attraction. And everyone and their grandmother wanted to see that bunny in the pot. We were mad busy, and quality control really slipped. One day, I'm serving a small popcorn to a woman, and as I put it in her hand, I see all too late a lipstick imprint on the cup. It's just the bottom lip, and it's underneath the rim, but she took it, and she went into the theater, and as that door shut, I imagined a life in prison. <laughs> and, and I realized I like my complicated relationship with money, I find great comfort in that. So even, we didn't get caught, but I quit the theater. And I started waiting tables. And I waited tables all through high school, through four years of college, and I self-financed my own education by waiting tables. And thank you, thank you. Um, and I, I, I still have a complicated relationship with money, but that's fine. And I, I'm still thrifty, but I, I do occasionally go to the movies, and I always order popcorn because they don't sell it in tubs anymore. They sell it in disposable paper bags now. Thank you. That was Stacey Bader Curry. She said that her younger self would say that Stacy is surprisingly neat. She's finally mastered the art of naturally curly hair and always roots for the underdog. Stacy, as a wavy, curly girl myself, I'd really take all the tips. If you'd like to see a photo of Stacy when she was in high school or learn more about all of our storytellers, check out grownpod.com. We wanted to hear more about how people form their own moral compass. So we reached out to members of the MOFS education community and hear their voices. So I was in a very challenging, at least challenging for me, math class this year. I was in geometry. And I had a geometry quiz. And I knew I was not prepared for this quiz. I had known the quiz was coming up, and I had simply forgot 
and or procrastinated studying until I was sitting in that class about to take the quiz. And I was thinking to myself, the person who sits right next to me is really good at geometry. I could just look at her theorems and then I would get a really good grade. And But then the little voice in my head was like, you can't do it. You can't do it because what if your teacher finds out and your reputation is ruined and you won't get into college and it'll be terrible. So I didn't cheat and I got a 32. But I felt a lot better about myself after I got over the 32 than I think I would have if I got a high score and cheated. <laughs> a time I had to choose between right or wrong is when I was babysitting last week. And I think the thing is, is because of the fact I'm, I don't know, still a teenager, I want to be able to see younger kids as like my friends. And when they were acting up, I wanted so badly to try to be like, no, I'm like the chill friend, but I knew that I had to go and stand up to them when they were pushing their limits with me, even if that meant I broke some sort of image of me being cool. I feel like you can kind of think of like college in a way. I don't know, like the college process itself was very like difficult. And like when it comes to choosing a school, it's like, what does your family want? And then it's like, oh, what's best for you? So when I was choosing, it was, I had to talk to my family and I had to like ask them what they thought about it. And there was times where we like disagreed about it. I like, no, my mom didn't want me to go far, but I ended, I'm not that far out. But it, there was a lot of disagreements about it. But then at the end, I chose what I thought was good for me because it is going to be me being there. It's not going to be like my family. It's going to be me going up there. So I travel alone a lot and traveling alone as a minor is obviously inherently dangerous. So, I have a very well-developed backstory for myself. I'm a software engineer. I'm just working from home, wanted to, wanting to do some travel. But then sometimes I meet really, really cool people, and I become really, really good friends with them. But do I keep up that lie, or do I tell them who I really am? And that's always a really, really hard choice, but usually works out. Wow, it is always so lovely hearing from the moth education community. Yeah, absolutely. And Fonz and I were actually at the event where some of these voices were collected. It was uh, an event hosted by the Moth Education Program for alumni and current students to come and mingle and talk story. And it was just so amazing meeting with young people who are really going through this grown process themselves. Um, and just shout out to the education team at the Moth for always creating a space for young people to find their voices. As alumni, Fonzo and I know really how special that is. If you'd like to learn more about the education program, head to the Moth org slash education. So Fonzo, what's our next episode about? Aliza is going to be about us. You know what I'm saying? Friendship. The vibes. Roll the clip. And we make it to the pizza bar and it's five minutes before closing and the guy's really mad. He's like, <laughs> but then we show him the phone and then he's like, and then he's just confused. So like, what would compel three kids from Brooklyn to walk all the way to Yonkers for a slice of pizza? <laughs> well, that's it for this episode. Remember, no matter how old you are, you're never fully grown. Fonzo Lacayo is a passionate creative from the Bronx who appreciates the art of storytelling and self-expression. The last time he did something to improve the world around him is when he helped someone carry their groceries up to the train platform. Aliza Cosme is a multimedia storyteller passionate about using the power of storytelling for social good. And the last time she did something to improve the world 
was this morning when she gave tourists some directions to navigate the train, dispelling the myth that New Yorkers are grumpy. Grown is a production of The Moth. Our senior editor is Sarah Jane Johnson, and our senior producer is Mark Sollinger. That's me. With support from our artistic team, including Jody Powell, Suzanne Rust, and Sarah Austin Janess. This podcast wouldn't be possible without our education team. Melissa Brown, Jonathan Cabral, Devin Elise Wilson, and Anna Stern, as well as our instructors, past and present. To learn more about the Moth's education programs for young adults and educators, visit themoth.org edu. Christian's story was directed by Catherine McCarthy. Mixing is by Davy Sumner with original music and sound design by Davy Sumner. Special thanks to all those who contributed their voices. The rest of the Moss leadership team includes Sarah Haberman, Jennifer Hickson, Meg Bowles, Kate Tellers, Marina Cliche, Brandon Grant Walker, Leanne Gully, and Aldi Casa. All Moss stories are true, as remembered and affirmed by their storytellers. For more about Grown, go to grownpod.com. Grown is presented by PRX, the public radio exchange. Ever wonder why we want to tell complete strangers our personal secrets? Or what a CIA spy can teach you about keeping things close to the chest? Read about this and see other fascinating articles on secrets in Grown's Pocket Collection. Pocket is a website and app that finds the most thought-provoking articles from trusted sources all around the internet and puts them in one place. With Pocket, you can keep and find new articles to read, save articles for later, and even have your saved articles read aloud to you. If you want to dig deeper into this secret-worthy episode of Grown, head over to Pocket and check out our collection at getpocket.com slash grown.